time together as God's people worshipping him and focusing our lives once again uh, as we take communion together and as we just refocus our minds as we come to the end of a, a, a busy week, perhaps first week back at school, just to kind of get a refocus on God and to look once again at him as we go into a new week and um, a new kind of phase of our lives this week. Now on your seats there's uh, not only the bulletin but on the, on the reverse of the bulletin there's an outline for you to fill in if you want to fill that in as we go through the sermon. Uh, if you want to leave it that's fine, that's, that's no problem. There's also in the, in the seat in front of you or, or in one of the seats in front of you there should be um, a uh, welcome card if you want to fill that in. If you want to communicate with us just give us your details if you're new or if you're visiting. If you want to know more about church or connect with us in some way do put your details on that and we'll be able to follow that up uh, during this week. Now, in 2007, which is a long, long time ago now, uh, we had the amazing opportunity as a family to be able to travel to New Zealand and to spend time with Claire's sister and her husband and her family out in New Zealand and her kids and so on. And while we were out there, I worked at a local church and did some studies in the Old Testament. And we were there for just short of three months. It was an amazing trip. And we saw some phenomenal things. If you've ever been to New Zealand or seen any pictures in New Zealand, you'll know that it's an amazing place and we had a fantastic time. And although we did have some holiday time while we were there, it wasn't a holiday. Despite people's uh, views of the country, we were actually working. I was working. I went right through the Old Testament on some studies uh, with Trinity uh, College in the States. And while we were there, you know, it, if you're there for two weeks, it's a holiday, isn't it? And you don't really connect with local people. You're just there at kind of savouring all the sights and so on. If you go to Spain for two weeks or anywhere for two weeks, it's a, it's a holiday, isn't it? When you're there for three months or just shy of three months, you actually have to get on with life and live life as normal. You know, the holiday doesn't continue forever. We had about ten days holiday when we got there and then life had to carry on and we had to get on with things and get a routine and get shopping and kind of fitting in with the locals and so on. Now, New Zealand culture is very, very similar to UK culture. It was a British colony for a long time. Everyone speaks English, or pretty much everyone speaks English, that they drive on the same side of the road. They, uh, there's lots of stuff that it just feels like the UK, very, very like the UK. And on the surface, it all seems really familiar. But when you're there for three months, rather than just a kind of two-week holiday, you discover that actually it's really significantly different. It looks very similar, but there's actually some real differences. We, we fitted in. We looked like most of the people who were there. We, we had the same language. Our kind of lifestyle was pretty much the same as everybody there. We ate the same kind of food and so on. But the longer we were there, the longer we kind of got into everyday routine of life and commuted back and forth to the church building and dropped Claire and the kids off and this kind of stuff, the longer we became aware as we got into life that actually we were quite different, that culturally we were different, that we were different to the people who lived there, and that New Zealand was different. It was just a different place. We, we fitted in, but we didn't quite fit in, if you know what I mean. And the Bible says that actually the Christian life is very similar to this. The Bible talks about those who trust in Jesus, people who surrender their lives to him, ask him for forgiveness, uh, thank him for dying on the cross, and, and, and make him their, their Lord and Saviour. That's what it means to be a Christian. The Bible talks about Christians, those who trust in Jesus, as being like strangers and foreigners and exiles in a foreign country. And we were still living in the same country. Should be a slide up there. We were still living in the same country, and yet now everything uh, was different when we were in New Zealand. We were the same people, but we were living in a different country. And as Christians, we are still living in the same country. We are still in the same place, but now there's a change taking place and we are different. 
How we view the world around us is different or how we view it should be different. The Bible paints this picture for us as as being like people who are travelling and are from one country but find ourselves in a different country. And that happens to us physically, as it happened to us in New Zealand, but actually that's the kind of experience, that's the way we're meant to live as followers of Jesus. That we are travelling, we're just passing through this world on the way to somewhere different, somewhere better, to another world. In Philippians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he said, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live in this world, we're citizens of the nations we live in, we have lives to live, we have lives to lead here on this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we should be eagerly awaiting for the Lord Jesus Christ from there. That should be our focus, for him to come and to take us to be with him for eternity in heaven. So whilst we live here, this isn't our home. This is not our home. If we love Jesus, this is no longer our home. Our real home is in heaven. That's where we're going. Our real identity is as citizens of God's kingdom, not of the United Kingdom or or, or any other earthly kingdom. And that means that how we we live whilst we're here on earth should be different. Should be different to how we used to live. And it should be different to how people around us live. Just like when we, as a family, were in New Zealand, we were similar, but we were different. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be similar but different. There needs to be something different about us, or there should be, because we are just passing through. The Apostle Peter wrote these words. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See, if we've trusted in Jesus, if we've surrendered our lives to him, then we're meant to view ourselves as foreigners and exiles, not making ourselves at home in this world, but passing through. So we live in this world, but we're no longer of this world. We, as a family, we were living in New Zealand, but we weren't Kiwis. We were different. We were foreigners. We were exiles just passing through. But what was funny to see was that that Claire's sister and her husband, although they have really strong West London Cockney accents, they had begun to take on Kiwi accents. And and, uh, nearly 10 years later, if we talk to them on the phone now, when they were over visiting last year, their Kiwi accents are even stronger And over time, they've begun to leave behind their British identity. They are more and more Kiwis. They've got Kiwi uh, citizenship, New Zealand citizenship and passports and so on. And they are more and more like the people in the country they live in. They've begun to leave behind their old identity. And as Peter writes in this verse, he challenges us as followers of Jesus not to live like the world around us and not to be influenced by the world around us. Uh, Karen Anthony, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they have begun to live like the people around them. And that's natural and normal, isn't it? And and that's a healthy thing when you move to another country to to embrace the culture and so on. That's a healthy thing to do. But we as, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, are not meant to do that. We are meant to consciously choose not to live the way that the world around us lives. But it's difficult to live somewhere and not begin to take on the way of life, isn't it? And the culture around you. We pick up the accent, we we change our food, might even change the way we dress. And and spiritually that's true for us as well. It is very difficult, or I certainly find it really difficult, to live as a citizen of heaven whilst living here on earth. There's a a clash, there's a a tension in that. To identify myself as a citizen of heaven, yet I've still got to function and live and, 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 and exist in this world. Now, Abraham is a guy that we find in the Bible. 
He's a real person from history. Much of his life is recorded for us in the Bible. He was the, the father of the Jewish nation. But his life is also recorded for us that we can learn some hugely spiritually important lessons from it. And Rob helped us last week by introducing to us the life of Abraham and to the call he received from God to leave behind his old country and go and be a stranger, a foreigner in a new country. Genesis 12 verse 1 was the the first verse that Rob read to us last week. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now at this point Abraham was just called Abraham but later God changed his name to Abraham or find out about that in, in, current week, in, in the future weeks. So I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham today, just for, for ease. Ab- Abraham, or Abraham, means the father is exalted, or father is exalted, whereas Abraham means father of a multitude of nations, and that's exactly what Abraham became, as we'll see in coming weeks. Now, Abraham was born in 2166 BC, and when God spoke to him and called him to leave, it was the year 2091 BC. And Abraham was 75 years old at that age. There's a map coming up for you here which shows you the journey that he, he, he took. He journeyed from what is modern-day Iraq right up into now what is modern-day Syria and then down into modern-day Israel. And you can see that, that red route there for his journey over a, a period of time. Abraham took with him a whole crowd of people. Sometimes we perhaps have this idea of Abraham and his wife and you know, maybe one or two servants and a donkey. That, that, that's not the picture at all in the Bible. There were probably maybe up to 500 people in this group of people in Abraham's wider household. We know that because later in the account he's able to pick 318 trained men from his household to go and fight. So Abraham was a significant individual. This was a, this was a big undertaking, around probably four, five hundred people moving, with Abraham leading them. They were his household, his, his sort of wider servants and family and so on. He was a significant individual. He would have been respected, admired, and even maybe feared by those around him and by those he came into contact with. But it was a huge change for Abraham and his family to go and to live, to move such a big distance, to go and live in a completely different place. Yet at the same time, it would have been very familiar. Historians reckon that that probably the language that they spoke in what became Israel uh, was pretty much the same, or or certainly would have been a similar dialect to the one that Abraham would have grown up with. So although he was from a different area, he probably would have understood the people, they would have been able to communicate and so on. So it was significantly different to what he'd known before, but it was still familiar enough for him to be able to communicate and to exist and carry on life and and, and kind of make a life for himself in this new place. And in the New Testament of the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, we read this commendation of Abraham. And it says this, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The writer of the book of Hebrews, some uh, nearly 2,000 to 2,500 years later, was writing about Abraham's life. But he was trying to encourage people like you and people like me, followers of Jesus, to be people of faith just like Abraham and to live lives like Abraham, to live as strangers in this world. And he's commending Abraham for the fact that he went and he lived and he didn't put down roots but he lived as a kind of nomad kind of situation in tents because actually he knew that his real home, his real eternal destiny was a heavenly one. A city, without, a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God and, and, and the writer here is referring to eternity, to the new heavenly Jerusalem that, that the Bible talks about. 
So the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to get people like you and me, people who are followers of Jesus, to be people of faith and to live lives like Abraham, to live as strangers in this world. Now, God may or may not physically call us to move from one place to another. He might do that for some of us, just like he did for Abraham. But that's not really the issue here. What these verses are trying to do is to encourage us to be people who step out in faith right where we are and live lives that look different and are different. So we don't need to go to Africa or to uh, Asia or South America or North America or anywhere else. We don't need to go across the whole part of the world to live lives that are radically following Jesus. God may call us to do that and if he does we need to be obedient to do that. But actually, for most of us, it's just about being radical followers of Jesus right here, wherever we are. Whether that's in the school classroom, or in the hospital, or in the office, or in our neighbourhood. To be people who live differently, who look different, and are different to the world around us. To be people who live as citizens of heaven, and to live by the standards of God's kingdom, rather than the standards of this world. To be people who are living eagerly, awaiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus said, if I go, I will come and take you to be with me, that where I am, you might be also. I'm going to prepare a place for you, this eternal city that we talk about in in the book of Hebrews, referring to Abraham. And the Bible encourages us to be people who are living, eagerly waiting and expecting Jesus to come back. And and as I studied that this week, it's been a real challenge for me. Am I eagerly living, eagerly expecting, looking for Jesus to return? Is that how I live? Story of my life. <laughs> but it's a challenge, isn't it? Certainly the church culture I grew up in, at one time, you know, lots of the songs we sung were about the fact that Jesus was coming. And I think maybe in our church, we've, and in the, in the church in general today, we've, we've lost that sense of living with the expectancy of the second coming of Jesus and living, eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back. And, and possibly that's because life is really comfortable and really nice and uh, we're just... I'd like Jesus to come back, but let me get my kids first and my marriage and, and my, my, my career and my house and, and then he can come back. But, but let's not disturb the stuff that I want to do. And there's a challenge in that, isn't there? We should be people who are eagerly awaiting for Jesus to come from heaven to take us to be with him rather than being people who are focusing on the temporary stuff in this life and in this world. It is temporary. John Ortberg's written a great book called It All Goes Back in the Box and... and the whole book basically is this concept, you know, we fill our lives with stuff and the older we get, the more stuff we have. But actually, we go back in a box one day and all that stuff goes back in a box. And what do we value? What is it we're investing in in this life? When we were in New Zealand, you know, I just had to speak and people knew I wasn't a Kiwi. My accent was different. I stood out. And that's the same kind of idea here, that, that the way we behave and talk and act and live should look different to the people around us because we don't belong here. Abraham made his home like a stranger in a foreign country. He was a temporary visitor because he'd set his sights on an eternal home, not in this world, but a home built by God. And, and Hebrews says that he lived in tents. His home was temporary, yet his eternal home would be a city built by God. And I was sitting this morning, I was sitting reading my Bible out on our deck, uh, on our porch swing, looking at all the nice flowers and just thinking... You know, am I just getting a little bit too rooted into this world? This is nice, nice deck, nice garden, nice house and all the rest of it. And have I, have I personally lost that sense of living in a tent or, or, or the spiritual equivalent of it? 
Am I prepared to just walk away from all this if God calls me to go somewhere differently? It's a challenge, isn't it? Are we putting our roots down too much in this place? As we live like this, like Abraham, we're called to live by faith, to live as people who put our faith and our trust in God rather than in the things of this world. We're to be foreigners who live different kinds of lives to the people we live amongst because in faith our focus is meant to be on our heavenly and our eternal destiny. So I want you to write that on your outline firstly this morning. God wants me to stay focused on my heavenly identity and destiny. God wants me to stay focused on that heavenly identity, that heavenly destiny. Let me challenge you this morning. Is that your focus? What is it you're focused on? We've got legitimate stuff we need to do. We've got work, we've got careers, we've got families, we've got houses, we've got stuff to do. But what is your focus? What is my focus? Is it that eternal heavenly identity and destiny or is it this life? Is it this world? Are you living in a tent or the equivalent of it or are you putting down roots and building big houses in this world? How are you living? I think most Christians, including myself, find themselves in one of two categories. They either never really leave behind their old life, they they, they just add a kind of Christian veneer to the way they live, to their old identity. You know what a veneer is? You have a bit of wood like this, and inside this it will just be chipboard and kind of mash put together, and there's a nice veneer put over it to make it look nicer, as opposed to a solid piece of wood like this. And we can do this as Christians. We can, we can put a nice Christian veneer so you know, we don't swear, we don't, we don't do this, we don't do that. But actually, that's just a little bit of a slim veneer. We go, we, we go to church, we, we, you know, all that kind of stuff, turn up here on a Sunday, but, but in reality, it's just a thin covering and the, the real reality of, of who we are underneath has never really been changed. Or, and and I certainly really identify with the second one, we find ourselves being drawn away from living as foreigners and exiles who are just passing through and we end up putting roots down and becoming like the world around us. So that, like my relatives in New Zealand, after a while there's little really to mark them out as being different to the Kiwis around them. They they look like Kiwis, they sound like Kiwis. They walk around with bare feet and uh, live like Kiwis. That's what Kiwis do, they don't wear shoes. And you can become like that, we can become like that as Christians. And, and that's certainly the challenge that I struggle with, staying focused on, God's, on who God says I am and where God says I belong to. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to get sucked into, the, into this world's way of doing things, the way it thinks, the way it behaves and acts, the, the things that this world values, so that there's little to mark me out as a follower of Jesus. And Claire and I were just up late last night, just sat talking about this, and I was, we were really just challenging ourselves what is there to really show that my life, that our lives as a couple, as a family, is actually any different to the people around us? There are some things that we don't do, perhaps, that they do, some of our neighbours in our street, but really, what really shows... Okay, so I work for a church, that's different, but if I wasn't working for a church, if I was just doing my old job, is there really anything different about us? Are the values we live by are our standards, are our goals, are the things we're filling our time with, the things we think about, the things we're focused on. I'm talking about myself, not, not anybody else. Am I really any different to the person next to me? I should be. We should be. We should be radically different. So how do we do that? What, what is the solution? Is How do we live in this world but not become like it? How do we do the equivalent of living in New Zealand but not end up with a Kiwi accent? Well, it's simple but it's really hard. It is simple, but it's really hard. We need to 
spend time, write this down, we need to spend time uh, with God in prayer and read the Bible. And they think, oh, that's, a, that's an old chestnut. Of course I know that. That's what uh, you know, preachers say all the time. But they say it all the time because it's just so true. We just need to spend time with God in prayer and, and, and in the Bible and, and be with other Christians too. It's simple, but it's hard to do. And if it wasn't hard to do, we would all be doing it far more than we do. But the reality is we don't. We need to spend time with God in prayer and, and, and in reading the Word of God, the Bible, because the, the more we do that, the more we'll become like Him. And the more we wash ourselves with, with God's Word, and the more we kind of soak ourselves and open ourselves up and, and, and kind of expose our lives and the way we think and behave and live and so on to the Word of God, the more we'll be aware of, of, of where we need to make changes. We'll find ourselves taking on God's standards and thinking and living the way God wants us to live and think. And that will mean that we will be different to the world around us. And it will mean that we will become uncomfortable in this world. Because its values and its standards will be at odds with ours. You know, if we are too comfortable in this world, or rather if we don't feel uncomfortable in this world, then there's something wrong. If you feel comfortable, if I feel comfortable, or if I don't feel uncomfortable in this world, then there is something wrong. If we don't find the way that this world operates and the things that we see and experience in this world are a problem, then it means that we've made this world our home rather than staying focused on our eternal identity and destiny. If our lives are effectively just the same as the world around us with just a thin Christian veneer on the surface so that we go to church on a Sunday, but that's really the only difference to our neighbours or our work colleagues or our classmates, then we're kind of missing the point. God is calling us to leave behind our old lives to live as exiles and strangers living by the standards of that eternal identity and destiny so that people look at us and immediately know that there is something very different to us, something very different about us because we're focused on Jesus and we're living for Jesus. Now, despite the glowing way the New Testament refers to Abraham, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, Abraham nevertheless often got it wrong and focused on the world around him rather than his heavenly destiny. So let's now read the account of this next part of Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 12. Now Rob read for us uh, verses 1 to um, 9 last week, but I'm actually going to read those verses again. Just sets a bit of context if you weren't here last week. But we're gonna, so we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, chapter 12, and the bit that we're going to focus on especially, or hopefully the sense we have been focusing on building towards, is the second part of the chapter where Abraham's in Egypt. So just for context, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Genesis. You can just listen if you like as I read the verses. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. That time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. 
and there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Whilst being obedient to God's call to live in a foreign land, Abraham ran up against the very real problem of a famine. And that reminds us that just because we're doing God's will, it doesn't mean that we won't face problems and difficulties. In fact, the opposite may well be true. The fact that we're struggling and problems and we're running into to hardships and difficulties is often the sign that we are doing God's will. And so Abraham took his large household, probably about 500 people in total, he took them off down to Egypt because everybody knew that Egypt was loaded with resources. And then as he led his household down to Egypt, he was suddenly faced with this dilemma. Look at verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. But God had called him to this new life, had promised to bless him and provide for him, but now when the crunch came, he bottled it, and he didn't live by faith. Telling the truth about his situation and being faithful to who he was and to his family situation might cost him. He didn't seem to be bothered about his wife, but then it the kind of outrage of this, it didn't seem to be of remote interest what would happen to Sarah, it was just looking after himself, just how it would affect him. And so he, he tried to make life easier for himself by lying. And in fact he was partly telling the truth because as bizarre as it may seem to us, Abraham's wife was actually his half-sister. Sarah was actually his half-sister, that's a, a story for another day. But he was actually married to his half-sister. But Abraham deliberately deceived Pharaoh and the Egyptians by presenting her as only his sister and not as his wife in order to save his own skin. So instead of telling the truth and being faithful to God and faithful to his wife and faithful to his family and trusting God and, and, and living as a person of faith, he lied to Pharaoh and he really did rather well out of it as well. Look at verse 14. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. This is a kind of a euphemism really for the fact that she was taken as his wife and into uh, Pharaoh's harem along with his many other wives. So there was more than to this than just Sarah being taken into the palace. This was her becoming Pharaoh's wife and, and becoming part of his collection of wives. He actually paid Abraham a great deal for her, assuming that because Sarah was Abraham's sister, he had to pay a bride price. That was customary in, in that day. And so verse 16 says, He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. So he did really well, didn't he, out of this deception. Not only did he preserve his own life, 
although it's highly unlikely that his life was ever really at risk, but he also got a load of extra possessions. He did really well. And it's such a shame because Abraham had been doing so well. He'd been obedient to God. He'd set out in faith. He'd travelled to a foreign country. But then, instead of having faith in God to provide for him, and instead of trusting God with his problems, he took matters into his own hands. He sinned to make life easier for himself. He went for the easy option rather than stepping out in faith and trusting God, even though that might have been risky on the surface. And, you know, we can find ourselves in similar situations to Abraham, can't we? As, as we live in a world that's not our home, we can all too easily find ourselves adopting the ways of this world rather than the ways of our eternal home so that we live by our old identity, the identity of this world, rather than our new identity and our new eternal destiny. It's so tempting to sin in order to make life easier for ourselves, isn't it? When we're at school and somebody asks us, if we are a Christian or if we go to church, it can be so tempting just to say no because we know that life will be so much easier if we don't own up to what we really are. Remember when I was a teenager and in those days we used to have to wear, had to wear, had to wear a suit to church at 14. And I remember being out and about and my, my parents were, we were going to a wedding Sunday afternoon heading off to church and one of my mates from school, I'd just gone to a new school and one of my mates, well he wasn't really a mate, I just knew him at school and on, on, he saw me there, the, 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 four, the, the three of us, my mum and dad and me, mum with this huge hat on and we're all dressed up and off to church and the next day he said, so what, were you, what was all that about? I said, oh we were going to a wedding. And, uh, but then he kept seeing us, I said, a lot of weddings you guys go to on Sundays. <laughs> it wasn't that I was ashamed of Jesus but I was ashamed, I've got to be honest, of the way we were dressed, it just was weird uh, and my faith uh, and my my friends thought it was pretty weird. But it can be so much easier, can't it? Just to hide behind something else, a little white lie, not tell the truth. Or, or, or like Abraham here, really outrageously sinning to make life easier for ourselves. Maybe yet somebody at work puts pressure on us to bend the rules a little bit. To, to, to lie, to cut corners, to get that contract or to claim expenses that we're not entitled to, or, or, or to fiddle our timekeeping. The tempting and the easy option can be to give in because then we won't stand out and we'll, and we'll get less hassle, won't we? So much easier to keep our heads down. And, 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 and there's a time for keeping our heads down. We don't always need to be confrontational. But sometimes we can sin in order just to preserve ourselves. When somebody maybe asks you what you think about what the Bible has to say about hell, the fact that it's eternal and, and, and it's punishment for those who don't trust in Jesus or what the Bible says about sex, or what you believe about sex and, and, and marriage, or what, Jesus, or what the Bible says about Jesus being the only way to heaven. Some of those things are not palatable for people around us. They don't want to hear the, the, what the Bible says about those things. And, and we know that to be truthful is going to provoke an argument when we're put into a corner. Or, or it might even lead to hostility and anger towards us with people treating us badly in our workplace or in our family. Living as exiles and foreigners, people who see ourselves as passing through this world and as belonging to Jesus and to heaven will mean that we will stand out. If we're not standing out, then we're not probably living as we should be. Living by faith, trusting in God to provide for us rather than being dishonest can be scary, can be costly. Because when we're put in those awkward situations and we know that telling the truth or being true to who we are and what we believe or behaving in a biblical and a godly way will make us stand out and, and maybe even face hassle. The temptation can be to do what Abraham did and look after ourselves rather than being faithful to God. I read this quote many years ago and I encourage you to write it down. 
that the Christian life is about making right choices based upon what I know is true, not on how I feel. I've said this many times, but it's just so true. The Christian life is about making right choices based upon what I know is true rather than how I feel. And when we're in the school classroom or in the workplace or with our non-Christian family or our neighbours, we've got those choices all the time. Will I make the right choices as to what I say, how I respond, how I behave, etc.? Or based upon what I know is true, what the Word of God tells me to do, or, or will I go for what I feel, for what is easy? We will often feel like fitting into our surroundings, won't we? Rather than standing out. We may feel like compromising what we believe because it would just be so much easier. We might feel like being dishonest because we'll be better off. We might feel like trusting in wealth rather than God. We may feel like doing things our way, the way we feel rather than the right way, the way that we know that is true and right. And we might get away with it. Abraham did pretty well out of this. He, he treated his own wife outrageously and to save his own skin, he handed her over to Pharaoh to be one of his wives. But apart from the fact that we're sinning against God and are being unfaithful to him when we make choices like this, sin actually has a habit of catching up with us, doesn't it? God enabled Pharaoh to find out that Sarai was actually Abraham's wife, and so he summoned him and he said, Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I, may, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Can we have that verse up please, Daniel? To Pharaoh's credit, he behaved honourably and he wanted to put the situation right. This Pharaoh, interestingly enough, was a guy called, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this rightly, Wakari Actos III. Now, historians tell us that he wrote a piece of literature to his son called Instruction for King Meri Kare. And, and this was a piece of advice for his son concerning the, tra- the treachery of the Asiatics. And historians believe it was principally about what Abraham did. And he wrote this piece of literature, which is still preserved, about how Asiatic people, which is where Abraham had come from, that's how they'd have been referred to, were treacherous. And historians think this probably was actually referring to what Abraham did. And Abraham was never allowed back in Egypt. He never went back to Egypt. He, got, he partly got away with his behaviour. He was allowed to go on his way. Uh, graciously, uh, Pharaoh allowed him to keep the gifts that he'd given him, but he was never able to go back to Egypt. And I can't imagine Sarai was overly happy with his behaviour either. Imagine that slightly awkward conversation where Sarai and Abraham uh, saw each other again. Uh, I can't imagine that went well. Um, Yeah. When we fail to live the way that God is calling us to live and and we take our focus off our heavenly identity and our heavenly destiny and and when we choose not to live by faith then it always goes wrong eventually. Short-term gain, long-term loss. And sin always leaves a mess in our lives and in other people's lives. We cannot sin with impunity. Sin is always and primarily against God, but it always leaves a trail of destruction. See, God is calling us to follow him, to have faith in him, to go by faith where he leads us and to live as citizens of heaven, to live as strangers here on earth, living the way God calls us to live rather than giving in to the temptation to live the way the world around us lives. And that's the real challenge for us, isn't it? This incident in Abraham's life is a little picture into what it means and the kind of reality and the challenges. Abraham was not by any means the all-glowing, all-wonderful character. He was a fantastic example of what it means to live by faith. But he screwed up. He got it wrong big time. And I think that's fantastic, actually, that God has, hasn't just put the highlight, you know, the good stuff in about Abraham or Moses or David or anybody. He's put the, the kind of warts and all stuff in. If I was writing the Bible, I'd have left that bit out. Just the glowing bits about Abraham. But God's preserved that for us so that actually we, we can see some of ourselves in that, can't we? 
when we compromise and we don't live as we should, but also that there's grace, there's forgiveness as we put ourselves right and if we've sinned in those kind of ways to be able to come back to God and, and, and receive forgiveness and God's grace. Now we're going to listen to a song by Chris Tomlin in a moment, but before we do, I just want us to bow our heads and close our eyes and, and just take a moment to reflect. It may be this morning that you've never really trusted in Jesus, you've never really stepped out and left your old life behind to follow him in faith. At the heart of what it means to trust in Jesus is not just receive forgiveness for our wrongdoings, it's repentance, which means to turn around and to go in a different direction to the one we were once taking. Maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to take that step, to trust in Jesus, to truly repent. It may be that you have trusted in Jesus, and, and, but in reality you've just added a thin Christian veneer to your existing life. You've never really become the person God wants you to be. You never really embrace what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. But now, this morning is a time to take that step. It may be that you've been following Jesus, but you've taken your eyes off him. You've, you've put roots down into this world too much. Your, your focus is no longer on your heavenly identity and destiny. And your life now looks little different to those around you at school or at work, or in your family or in your neighbourhood. And, and maybe today is that day for you to take that stand and, and, and refocus on God, refocus on living for him and rededicate yourself to him. Maybe you've compromised yourself in some way like Abraham and, and you need to confess that to God to put that situation right and I encourage you to take that step today let's just have a few moments of reflection and an opportunity for you to respond in whatever way you want to this morning to God